Thank you, worship team, for getting us started here. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you here again this morning. As was already mentioned, we have winter weather today, so uh, it's good. It should be done by noon, and we'll be able to move on with our San Diego lives. So uh, anyway, it's so good to be with you. We are in a series called Dear Church, and uh, we've been kind of unpacking and going through this uh, series in 1 Corinthians uh, for quite a while here, and uh, we are really coming to the end of it. So uh, this week and next week, we're going to just wrap up a few things and uh, move on into, well, we're going into Community Serve Day after that, and then on to uh, our next series uh, that will take us uh, through uh, really what is the season of Lent. We're going to talk about that a little bit here this year and, and leading up to Easter as we prepare our hearts to remember what Christ has done and, and how we can use that as a way to draw us closer uh, to Jesus. So that's kind of where we're going in the next uh, few weeks and a couple months. But today we're going to visit a passage in 1 Corinthians that we skipped when we were teaching through it. And, and some of you came up to me afterwards and said, why did you stop short of the verses that uh, we're going to look at here today? And um, in, in a moment, we'll tell you why, you'll see why. Uh, but we took a moment because we wanted to give this enough time to talk about it in an appropriate way. Way And so uh, we're going to invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, this is one of the passages here, some of the verses that we'll be looking at, uh, is sometimes you come to things in Scripture that when we read it in the context of our world today and in just in light of who we are and, and modern day San Diego, you can look at it and say, wow, this, this doesn't really fit. And, and even the truth is a lot of people as we dialogue with people who maybe have given up on faith or walked away from the church, one of the common threads or reason that we often hear is because sometimes you read something in Scripture that doesn't feel like it aligns with culture, and when it doesn't align with culture, you have to make a decision. I either have to trust this and kind of work out the tension in my life, or what a lot of people do is say, hey, this doesn't fit anymore, this doesn't work in the modern world, so it's time, I'm just, forget it. I don't even want to bother. And, and I actually think that's a, not a really great way to look at things. I, I think it's okay. God's okay with us living with tension and, and working through these. And even go, faith is not about having all the answers. By the way, sometimes we can go through life and say, yeah, I, sometimes I talk with my kids and, and they'll bring up questions. I say, I don't know. I just wrestle through some of this stuff and I may never know. And some of my answers, I'm going to get to heaven one day and God's going to look at me and say, like, you are such an idiot. You were just, you were wrong. You didn't even get that even close. And, but it's, we believe in our God is big enough to deal with us in our lack of knowledge. We believe that the love of God and his care for his creation and the fact that Christ came down and put himself on the cross for you and for me because of our imperfections, that he can wade through all of that. And he can wade through those doubts and that tension that we have to just live with. And in the end, there's a lot of grace and there's a lot of room to fall in the arms of the Savior as imperfect people. He gets it. So when we look at passages like this, and, and some of you, maybe your new description, you're saying like, I have no idea what you're about to say. Um, this one isn't the most controversial one in the world. It just sometimes feels that way. But it's okay, again, it's okay to live with the tension. It's okay to walk out of here today and say like, I'm still not sure I have all the answers. But we want you to walk out of here with one thing, Sure, is that there's a God who walks with us through this, okay? And we believe 
that God is present in this place. And he was present long before the first person opened the doors this morning. And he wants to meet us here and speak life into every single one of us. And that's going to look different for you and for me. But that's his desire for us, that we experience life from him. You with me on that? All right, let's break the tension a little. Okay, let's pray as we jump into today's text. God, we thank you so much uh, that you do love us, you care about us. And Lord, even in our lack of knowledge sometimes, even in our uh, questions that we have, that you are God who meets us there. And Lord, we are so grateful that our lives and our faith and our spiritual lives do not rest on our human ability to have all the answers and to live perfectly. We are so grateful that our lives rest on the fact that you are a God who loves, forgives, who understands, who walks with us, and who is present. We're so grateful that it is all on you and not on us. So we pray that you meet us in this place. Lord, you'd breathe life into each heart who's here today. God, we're going to hear different things, but whatever we hear, we want to hear it from you, that you would speak life into us. We thank you and give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I want to invite you to open or tap your way there or however you want to do it. And we are going to pick it up in verse 33. Now, whenever we get to a passage like this, uh, we talk about often, but there's a few questions we always want to ask when we don't have a clear answer. And you always want to start with, okay, who was this passage written to? Why was it written to them? What was going on in their world? Why did the author feel the need to say what he or she says here, in this case, what he says? And what else is the, what are the other uh, principles that are given from this passage? So anytime we're reading anything, any instruction, we apply those things. A letter written to you. You're going to say, okay, who wrote this? Why are they writing it? What is the context? Uh, Same thing with scripture. Who wrote this? Why? What was going on? So with that, if you are new to the faith, you're new to Seacoast, Um, Welcome, good to have you here. Verse 34. (laughs) Women are to keep silent in the churches, (laughs) for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves, just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak at church. Was it for you only that the word of God first went forth, or is it, sorry, was it from you that the word of God first went forth, or has it only come for you? All right, let's pray and go home. Good to have you here today. <laughs> yeah, so if, it, you know, it's funny, if you are kind of new to faith, and maybe you're just wading through this, you might read this passage and say, okay, well, where did that come from? Um, so let's talk about this a little bit. Let's start off with a few things. And first of all, again, who was this written to? What was it like? What was going on? Why did this person, why did Paul write this? So first of all, we, we've been talking a lot about is the people of Corinth. They lived in a world that was very much like ours. They were a progressive city. They are uh, very synchronistic in their faith and in their, in their uh, religion. Uh, they were new Christians trying to live out this faith in a world that was uh, progressive, educated, um, highly successful, diverse economically, all kinds of things. So we can relate. But there's some other things in there that was going on in the time. And this, so we see that this passage actually just fits with the tradition of the time. So we want to say, what are some of those? First of all, 
this passage is not dealing, and now it says that women should remain silent in the church. This is actually talking about the posture of women while they're learning. Because if we read the rest of this, we're going to see that this is, they're asking questions, they're learning. So how does this fit in the tradition of time? In the time of Corinth, women were uneducated mostly. Almost all of them were uneducated. In fact, in the Greek culture, most women were not even permitted to be educated or to learn. So you're talking to a culture of people where the women didn't have a basic understanding of Scripture. They didn't have a basic understanding of a lot of the things that were being taught even inside and outside the church. Uh, So... When women were to speak, if they were to speak in church, and what was probably happening here is, well, there was somebody proclaiming truth, there was someone teaching through scripture, or, or proclaiming words from God, there was women who were saying things out loud during a service like this, like, hey, uh, what does he mean by that? What did she say about that? And yes, I did say she, we'll get to that in a moment. I I don't understand. What's that part of scripture? And they were talking most likely out loud and throwing out questions either to their husbands or even just like, whoa, 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 stop. And now you think, well, I don't know. That sounds kind of good. That sounds like a great dialogue, a great way to learn, is it not? But we want to understand Greek culture. If women were not allowed to be taught, they also in their culture were not allowed to speak outside of the church. Let me give you a quote here. This is from uh, a Greek philosopher of the time, not writing Christian doctrine. This is written to women in first century. Women ought to be modest and guarded in saying anything that can be heard by outsiders. Women ought to do their talking to their husband or through their husband. So yeah, come down hard on Paul, but what about Plutarch? Come on. (laughs) So really what Paul's doing is he's reflecting something that was in their day in a Greek culture that women were not, by them speaking out loud, it was offense to the husbands and it was offensive in their culture. They would have looked at the husband and said, can't you keep your wife in line? I know, right now some of you are thinking, ooh. (laughs) It's easy to read scripture from our lens, isn't it? We can get offended because, wait, that's not how it works. Well, that's how it worked for them. So even in their culture, it was women shouldn't be, they weren't allowed to speak. It wasn't proper. It was inappropriate for them to speak when other men could hear. So we see this, and Paul is actually now writing, and this is not, though, by the way, Paul giving a prohibition for women to ever speak out loud. You might say, Ryan, uh, he actually says, keep silent in the churches. But just Two cha- three chapters earlier, we looked at this back in November, Paul talked about, hey women, when you are prophesying and praying in public worship gatherings, this is the posture you're to have. And it talks about head coverings, which we looked at a long time ago, and that was culturally, that was your way of saying, no, I, this is modest dress, I'm married, I'm respecting my husband, but I have a word from the Lord. So women, three chapters earlier, were publicly speaking in the church. So why would Paul change his mind in three chapters if he's talking about the same thing? And I'll argue this passage here, actually, this verse is doing, dealing with the posture of women while they were learning. 
It was the uneducated women who kept shouting out questions. So Paul did not change his mind in three verses. This section of uh, the book of 1 Corinthians from chapter 11 to chapter 14 is one thought. In chapter 11, he talks about, about order in the church, the role of men and women. He goes on to talk about your spiritual gifts. And then if you recall, for those of you who've been here, in the middle of it is the chapter about love, saying none of this works if we don't have a posture of love for one another. Then he goes back to talk about spiritual gifts, and he ends with, oh yeah, and this is the role of men and women in the church. It's a, he goes on this full circle. So in this particular passage, he's actually fitting somewhat with lines of tradition. Now, how does this passage and Christianity break with tradition is another question. Because I don't believe this is against, this is not saying women should never speak up. It's just in the context of learning. So we got to be careful how we apply it. Where do I get that? We want to look at all of the context of Scripture. Remember, we have this principle where Scripture is blurry. Use Scripture to make it clear. So we want to look at other things. And this is how now Christianity, including this passage, breaks with tradition. First of all, at the very beginning, we find in Genesis chapter 1, men and women were created in the image of God. Together, male and female were created in the image of God. There's this idea that men and women are different, but together we have the full character and image of God within us. This is a break from tradition. It would be kind of crazy in the ancient Near Eastern world to say a woman can be in the image of God. Christianity, Judaism taught that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 11, even with that thought in mind, Paul writes, again, the same thought. This is three chapters earlier. He says, a woman is not independent of the man. Oh yeah, and a man is not independent of the woman in the male-female, I mean in the husband-wife role. Meaning, you are equal. You are both important. There is no, hey, I'm the husband, I'm the man, I'm more important than you because you're just a female. Actually, Christianity taught quite the opposite. Said in Christ, there's no male and female saying that not one is more important than the other. Paul writes here, and and that's not saying that you're not different, it's saying you're not more important. Paul writes, woman is not independent. The wife is not independent of the husband. The husband is not independent of the woman, of the wife. That was radical. Uh, We find throughout the book of Acts, we find places where women are publicly speaking. In uh, Acts chapter 21, we see it with the prophets. In Christianity, we find women learning from Jesus. This is from the beginning, from Jesus throughout Paul. They're learning they weren't allowed to learn. We find in Luke chapter 10, verse 39 through 42, Mary, who was one of the followers of Jesus, was sitting at his feet and listening to what? To him teach. In their culture, that was offensive. Wait, women can't learn. Why are you letting her learn, Jesus? Christianity was actually progressive in that way. Here's another thing. Women, even this idea that we, we looked at a few weeks or months ago, and I'm going to briefly touch on again today, women willingly subjected themselves. Now, don't you love that word, subjected themselves? All the women are just like, you know what, Ryan, I would love to hear sermons about subjecting myself to a husband. Yeah, that sounds great. Really what this means in Greek is a word that's giving over of something, willing to give up of something. But in Christianity, the wives willingly gave over some of the leadership in the home. Now, why is that radical? They willingly did it. 
Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, you have the freedom to do this however you want. It's okay. But your act of worship is just as Christ gave up himself for the church, as he modeled humility in a marriage relationship, model humility, willfully give it up. Not dominate it and say, you will subject yourself, but the wife in Christianity said, I will willingly give up some authority to you as an act of worship. This was radical. It was a progressive idea. I mean, it's what we hear in the news all the time. Christianity is so progressive. Leading in the church, what do we find of women and their role in the church throughout the New Testament? I already mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5, women are publicly speaking. They're prophesying and praying publicly in church. Men are listening. Women filled that role. In the Old Testament, in the book of Judges, we have this woman named Deborah, one of the very first leaders of the nation of Israel. Nothing is said about what, that she's a woman. It doesn't say, and isn't that crazy? It just says, Deborah led the nation of Israel. She was a prophetess and a leader, a political leader. Jumping ahead, I know I'm going really fast. You can watch the, the uh, sermon and take notes if you want to know all these details. Again, Romans chapter 16, Paul is writing. He mentions several women. He re- mentions a woman named Phoebe. Describes her as a deacon in the church of Sancria. And he says, follow her instructions. Give her whatever she asks She is a very hard worker and a great leader. She is a deacon in the church, which was a word that can mean servant, but it also, what it meant was a worker. And it said, however she wants to lead you, follow her. That's Paul writing, the same one who wrote this. We find this woman named Priscilla mentioned time and time again throughout the New Testament, often mentioned with her husband Aquila. Uh, It is very weird that she's always mentioned first. That culturally was odd. It says something about her status and her leadership. We find that in Acts chapter 18, verse 26, she is a part, she and her husband were teaching Apollos, an apostle, in the ways of the Lord. They were sent there and they taught, she taught Apollos about the ways of the Lord. Romans 16 also talks about Mary, said she's a hard worker. She works among you to be respected. A lady named Junius, Junia is actually the name. We know that in about third or fourth century, some of the uh, church fathers changed that name to Junius, made it from a female name to a male name, uh, likely because, and they talk about it, like it just doesn't seem possible that this could be a female because of her status. Most scholars would agree that it is a female. Paul describes her as a fellow prisoner and outstanding among the apostles. Acts chapter 16, verse 14. Lydia planted the Philippian church. She was a convert by Paul. The next thing we know is she has a church meeting in her home. In Thessalonica, we find that many of the leading women in the city joined Paul and Silas for the sake of the gospel. So all that to say, when we read a verse like this and we say, okay, women are to keep silent, we want to say, okay, what is the greater context? What what is going on all over the place? How does scripture help make scripture clear? And we see that women were not just respected, but they were elevated in Christianity by Jesus 
and by Paul, who wrote most of our doctrine. They were elevated. They were honored. Their gifts were respected. People looked at them and said, this, they have a valuable place in the church. Now again, if you're new to faith, you say like, well, that's great. Makes sense to me. Some of you may know that there's a tradition in Christianity that uh, some, for intentional reasons, some very unintentional, some were very cultural, had nothing to do with Christianity. But women had a long history in the history of the world of not always being elevated or being described in this light. Would you agree? <laughs> that for not just dozens of years, but hundreds of years and truly thousands of years, Christianity was the one that was actually, when you dug deep, would say, actually, women should be elevated and respected. They're made in the image of God. And that hasn't always played itself out well. And again, some of it is cultural, not Christian culture. Just culture has fought against this for many, many years. And it's great to see it changing. I think for our younger generations, they hear this and they say, oh, it's so different now. I don't, that's not the world I grew up in. But there's a long way to go. We know through things like the Me Too movement. We look at just how women sometimes have been treated in marriages and even in churches. They haven't been respected the way that God would call us to respect them. Now the question is, do women have, can they do anything in the church that men can do? Well, there's been debate about that for many, many years. Let me point you to another passage in scripture that you'll love. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. I have it on the screen for you. This is another passage written to Timothy probably when he was in Ephesus. It says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Here again, how they learn. I don't permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a sinner. <laughs> I, love, I love the reaction. Like, ooh. <laughs> Many people look at this and, and what they're talking about is, again, this is a reflection of a couple things. One, in Ephesus, there was a particular cult going on, the worship of goddess Artemis. And there was a lot of a prophetess and there was some oppression, actually, of women oppressing men. Could be to do with that. It could also be very similar to what we just read. Women were, in general, uneducated. And why he uses the example, this is what some scholars would say, when he says, Eve was deceived, most of you, especially all the women in the room, said, uh, Adam was too. Come on. <laughs> Scripture never said Adam was deceived. He willfully disobeyed. Saying that Eve maybe didn't have the full knowledge. She was tricked because of her lack of knowledge. And again, was that cultural? Adam had full knowledge. He just said, okay, sure. <laughs> We're pretty weak as guys, just to let you know. Remember, at the time, they were naked and under shame. You can convince a guy of a lot of things in those moments. Anyway. <laughs> did, I, did I say that out loud? Okay. <laughs> so when we read a passage like that, we see that First Timothy, we're going to ask a few things. We're going to say, either this is the same command in First Corinthians, repeated. Hey, this is a posture of women to learn. But it relates to a husband and wife relationship. And in Greek, that can be translated husband and wife, not male and female. It could. Another option, option two, is it's exactly what it says and women should remain quiet in churches. 
That is an option. They should not teach or have any authority. That is an option. The other option is this is dealing with church order. And Paul, writing to Timothy, had something very specific in mind. Which principles that apply, but had specific for that time. One of the things that scholars through the years and churches through the years have looked at is the very next thought after, after he says that in 1 Timothy chapter 2 is he talks about overseers. And to understand Greek text, they did not have subheadings. They didn't have verse numbers. They just had words written in order. So the flow of thought was, hey, women shouldn't have authority. The next thing he says is it's a trustworthy statement. If a man desires to be in the office of overseer, it's, a, it's an honorable thing. And then goes on to describe the office of overseer. Many people will read this to say what Timoth- Paul is writing to Timothy about is there's something about the spiritual authority in the church that was given to men. And that's, many churches have debated this through the years. Some churches have where women have no um, leadership roles in the church. Some churches have uh, where women have a lot of leadership roles except for the uh, eldership which is actually the tradition here at Seacoast. And some say, well, it was so cultural, it doesn't matter. Men and women can have every role in the church. Those are the, to generalize some of the options. And going on here, I, I'm going to tell you today, you can, there's godly men and women who've made a case for all of this throughout the ages. And we're not going to answer it for you today. We're just going to mention this. But one other question, and then in a moment, I'm going to ask a couple people to help me. The one other thing that comes up with this, though, is that Paul talks about often, is what is the posture of men and women together, or husband and wives together? What does that look like? Does it mean that there is no distinction, there is no difference? What's the fuller teaching of that relationship between men and women? So you have all these kind of questions in the church. We see women being elevated. And I will say, women are mentioned in almost every single role in the church, but there is no mention specifically of a woman being an overseer, or in our language, we call it elder. Doesn't mean, I I won't say that churches that argue for it are totally wrong, just saying it's never specifically mentioned this woman was an overseer. But all the others, deacon, teacher, all of that exists. But there are, there's something other deeper going on that I believe at play here. And that is, again, how husband and I, wives interact together. And it has to do with the home. Now, in the home, what is, what's the role of men and women in the home? I want to give you a few affirming verses first. They're all affirming, but let me just share a few. Sometimes we think of that and we think, if you have a tradition in Christianity, you might say, oh, the husband has a spiritual authority in the home and it's all on his shoulders. Well, we also find in places like 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Timothy's grandmother and his mother were the ones with spiritual leadership in their home and the ones that taught him the ways of the faith. His dad was not a Christian. We find actually in 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, it talks about women adorning themselves through their interaction with their husband. That was their act of worship. In 1 Peter chapter 3, I have this on for, for you, verses 1 and 2, wives, Be subject, again, when I say subject, don't say 21st century San Diego, oh, subject myself to that person. This is willfully handing something over, some authority over. He says, be subject to your own husband so that even if some of them do not obey the word, in other words, if some of them aren't Christians, 
Even those, as you humble yourselves with them, they will be won over without a word by the conduct of their wives. The way these women were living in their home was an example of Christ and Christ's mission to the Father. It was pointing them back to Christ. So women had this incredible role of leadership in their home, modeling faith, modeling Jesus. Now, Husbands, you say like, yeah, let's just keep going back to that subject yourselves to me verse. I like those verses. I always bring it back to Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25. Paul's writing, he says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There is this theme throughout scripture that I do believe in the context of a marriage, especially in uh, where both Uh, uh, the people in the couple are followers of Jesus, that there is this spiritual responsibility placed on the shoulders of men. Why? Some would argue theologically it's the order of creation. Some would say it's just because that seems to be how we're wired. If you read the book Love and Respect, you'll find generalizations. It's always generalization. Men kind of respond well to that respect, that authority, and not authority domineering, but like, oh, you trust me in my leadership. It tends to be more important to men than many women. And again, generalization, I get it. But whenever we think of that men, we need to own up to what is godly spiritual leadership. And our example is Jesus, who loved his wife, the church, the bride, and gave himself up for her. Women, my guess is if the men in your life loved you with a sacrificial love, willing to give up their very life for you, for your well-being, for your good, my guess is saying handing authority over becomes really easy. Becomes really easy. Thank you. I got an amen from a woman. I love that. (laughs) You can speak in church. It's okay. (laughs) Man, this is a challenge for us. This calls us to a high, high standard. And anytime we look at this, I want to acknowledge there are single women in this room trying to raise their kids on their own. Your spiritual authority is on you in this case, right? There are widows. It changes. There are single men and women. I mentioned before, single guys, you do not have authority over all single women in your life, okay? This is not the application. This is in your marriage, Okay, Paul does seem to, you could make a case that this extends to this is where you make the bridge of if there's a spiritual authority, responsibility, I want to say it that way instead, being placed on the shoulders of men, you could make the case that that translates to watching the doctrine of the church and it's not because women are not able. It's because for some reason God's just saying, I'm placing this on you guys to model this. Now, I want to bring a couple people up. There's a lot more we could say, but I want to bring a couple people up here who are super smart and have a lot of great things to say. So I want to invite Sarah and Haley up to come. Yes, they are women, and they are going to speak in church. (laughs) Come on up. (laughs) You got it. No, no. I'm leaning. That's fine. Because I have three boys and they wear dresses. So. <laughs> this is, um, so this is my wife, Sarah, for those of you who don't know her. She is way smarter than I am. She always has been and probably always will be. Um, 
she will always will be. And, uh, and uh, Haley Bennett over here, um, Haley is on our teaching team. She meets with us every Monday and studies scripture with the team. And um, we talk about uh, the passages that we're going to teach. We get perspective from different people. They're both a part of that. And, uh, or Haley's a part of that. Sarah's a part of that um, at home. We have teaching team all week long. And she says, hey, how about that illustration where you just screwed up? Why don't you do that one? And she gives me plenty of those. <laughs> but uh, let me start with you, Sarah. Um, so Sarah, when we, we've talked before, and, and uh, you know, when you read or hear this about wives, um, hand over authority to your husbands. Tell them how much you love that. Oh, no. <laughs> so, so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so give us your, your take on that and just help, help us all in this room understand from your perspective. Well, I think you did a really good job preaching, so there's not really much I can say. Um, I, think you, I think I told you to say that differently. It's on your nose. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think the knee-jerk reaction, uh, because the world has so misused the term uh, submit, that it's easy to go, oof, you know, no way. <laughs> I think that's dumb. They should take that out. Um, but then... Uh, when I look deeper into it, and um, as you mentioned, um, and the Bible often does this, it turns things on their head, and I think that both leadership and submission have been modeled by Christ, Um, and Christ's love of the church is what God calls husbands to, and my example of submission is Christ, who considered himself equal to God, who was equal, but he chose to submit to the will of the Father. He chose to die for me and you and all of us. Um, I think uh, because both callings to love your wife as Christ loved the church and to submit in the same way that God, who was God, (laughs) submitted, I think that's good company. Mm. And um, anytime scripture calls both of us to end up in the same place, which is essentially the cross, mm. uh, I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Um, I have one other answer. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so that's really the um, looking at who Christ is answer, and I guess my second answer is looking at who I am in Christ, um, and that is um, in a husband and wife situation, and as a believer, I don't have anything to prove, and if I needed to come into this proving myself, I think then submitting would kind of suck. And it would be <laughs> counterintuitive. Yeah. Uh, but because scripture again and again and again affirms women, um, our worth, our value, um, who we are, not because of who we, what we do, but because of what God has done, um, I don't have to prove I'm a strong person. I don't have to prove anything. I can actually step aside and, like you said, willingly give over leadership and say, you know what, you go. It's okay. You go. And um, because I happen to be married to someone who also doesn't have anything to prove, um, then when your husband truly loves you and he's modeling his life after the leadership of Christ, which was a humble leadership and a sacrificial leadership, then it also makes it easy. Um, and so I don't mind giving you the final word, even though you're not trying to get it. Um, but often the final Wait, word is... Wait, did you say I get the final word? 
<laughs> and the final word sometimes is Sarah. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> it's true. That's all I have to yeah. say. <laughs> Uh, often. That's the final word. Yeah. <laughs> well, good. Well, thank you. Um, we're, Haley, want to transition to you. You're, Haley um, has a degree in biblical studies. She loves uh, anthology from Wheaton College, um, loves to study scripture. How has this been uh, for you, you know, kind of growing up, and you grew up here at Seacoast, and you've kind of had that desire to learn and study. How has this even subject kind of affected you growing up, and, and how the church traditionally has, yeah, Dealt with it. Yeah, it was really interesting. I mean, first, my love for theology started with my relationship with my dad. Um, he's very much into that and apologetics, and we just bonded over that. Um, and so within the household, that was always really encouraged. Um, and I was encouraged to ask questions, think deeply, um, and kind of come up against him and things that he was saying. Um, but it was interesting growing up in church here. Um, it was kind of a, a very big unknown of what does Seacoast think about this issue because we never talked about it. And so actually when I was studying theology at Wheaton, it was a question. I honestly didn't know what people would think about that here. And I was studying theology with girls who kind of received rather than support some backlash from the fact that they were studying that, um, which was sad to see. Um, and one, one of my friends, her church, wouldn't write her a letter of recommendation to go on and study at Princeton Theology. Um, and so with that, it was like there, there, is, a, there is tension in this subject. Um, and so it was sweet when I came back, when I graduated, um, I had heard about this teaching team, and so I actually asked Matt Carlson, hey, can I just sit in on teaching team? And again, <laughs> having no idea what even, what Seacoast thought, just because it wasn't talked about, um, I was like, look, I won't even say anything, I just want to see like what's happening. <laughs> um, <laughs> and Matt responded, he said, Haley, you may come, but only if you promise to contribute. <laughs> and with that, I thought, okay, this is good, then this is a safe place. Um, and as many of you guys know, I went to India for all of 2018, was serving there, and then came back um, in early 2019, um, went back to India, came back again. Um, and at that point, Ryan was the one that reached out to me and invited me back onto the teaching team and said, hey, we really want to get your input. Um, and that just meant so much, and I felt so honored and valued and being able to contribute, um, and it's been really sweet. So It's great. It's great to have her. She, she likes to open up and look at the Greek, too, which is now there's two of us who like that, so that's, <laughs> that's great. Tell me a little bit, you know, we, we've been talking about this passage, and just when you, when you see this passage and just what we've been teaching, what are some thoughts in your mind with that? Yeah, good question. Um, so it's been great to dialogue with Ryan because I, I love, um, you know, the idea of women teaching in church. And I also, and when I look through scripture and study it, to me, it seems like women on the eldership board is fine and okay. 
Um, and so that's something that we disagree on. Um, but it's something that's been really great to dialogue about and discuss. Um, so I don't know how much you want me to get into that. <laughs> Everyone's like, <laughs> oh, a whole she disagrees? What? <laughs> well, I, I think what was cool is she said, can I say that? And it's like, well, of course. You know, as we're studying through Scripture, one thing that's cool is that we, as we've been as a team and even in our uh, elder board uh, with our spouses have been processing all of these passages and saying, what? You know, let's understand it rightly and have, um, you know, where, where do we want to land? There's some disagreements, but one thing, you know, as you say, like you kind of read it a little differently, but you're still here. Why are you still here? <laughs> I think I'm here because dialogue is allowed. Um, and I think it's an ongoing process. And um, gosh, when you're interpreting scripture, I mean, there's always three things in play. You're trying to figure out what is the author's intent what were they actually trying to say to this people? What is the text itself? But also, what is my culture? Where am I coming from? Um, and acknowledging that for the sake of seeing your own blind spots is really important. And acknowledging that to see, you know, sometimes sometimes when things translate through culture, they're different, which Ryan talked about um, earlier. And, and I also acknowledge, you know, right now we're in a really weird time culturally. Um, I was just looking it up, you know, my grandmother, when she was growing up, it was like, it was strange for women to wear pants. And when my mom was 10 years old, that's when women were allowed to open up bank accounts in their own name. Um, There's, and so, you know, the, the world that say my grandmother grew up in and that my mom grew up in is so different from the world that I grew up in. And when I look at this cultural tension as well, I mean, stepping into a place like India that is very patriarchal um, and seeing just how different that is, I think there's a lot of grace um, to be given for the different places that we're all coming from um, and that it's really valuable to sit in that tension and value where each person is coming from um, and decide where to go from there. Um, I think another important thing to me is I have watched Ryan and the elder board um, just a little bit as they're pouring into this issue, and I know that they care, and they want what's best for Seacoast, and they want to honor scripture, and even though we both disagree on a scriptural basis, um, we can respect each other for that. Yeah. Thank you. I I really wish we could just keep dialoguing um, and keep going. There's a lot of what we can say, um, maybe just... Uh, quickly, either one or each of you, just what are ways that you feel like we can, uh, we want our women to feel empowered and to feel, you know, knowing that men and women are different. Um, But what's just maybe a thought, is there anything that we as a church, you know, what, how, what are ways that we can empower our younger women or all of our women? (laughs) You didn't give me that question in advance. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk about that later. (laughs) Uh, The short answer, I think, is uh, sermons like today, where you point out the incredible women in Scripture. Um, Also, having strong, capable women on the stage, just not me normally. (laughs) Um, And, yeah, I mean, again, just continuing 
continuing to remind everybody everywhere possible in Sunday school and youth group up here um, the value that women have in God's eyes and here at Seacoast. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's a funny thing, and just looking at my story growing up, when you don't see women in a certain space, there's kind of this idea that there's a wall there um, of, okay, then I won't. I won't ever be there. That's not an option for me. So why would I even go in that direction anyways? Um, and yeah, I think one, having women on stage, having women in leadership. Um, also, even just there's so many amazing stories here at Seacoast from men and women. And just having those stories be heard um, is another way to get um, yeah, women's voice out there. Um, I also think just in big decisions, really having a woman's voice in those decisions, too, for the church um, is really important. Um, and acknowledging that if men and women are different, women's perspective um, is something that, that needs to be heard and factored into this, too. So That's great. just the intentionality there. That's great. Um, as we wrap up, I'm going to invite the worship team to, to make their way up. Um, and... You can sit up here while I finish. It's good. Uh, you know, I just want to affirm and just let you know as a church that, as, as Haley said, and I appreciate your saying it, but um, our, our current elder, elder board, as we've been processing this, we constantly are saying, hey, how, we want to hear that, those other perspectives and the other voices. And we have men and women in all levels of leadership here. Um, and, uh, you know, any ways that the, the church and even this church and um, have in the past demeaned or put women down, um, we want to move forward from that. Um, we don't think that means that, that there's no difference between men and women. We don't believe that. We do think there's differences. Um, we think that we have a lot of different things to offer. Um, and we uh, acknowledge that there probably, especially in the past of Christianity, haven't, we haven't always handled this well. Um, and we believe the church should be leaders in things like the Me Too movement. We think that the church should, the men, um, Christian men should be vocal on things like this. And there's a lot of growth for all of us. Um, as we end, you know, I also acknowledge in this room, there's probably some of you who are really uncomfortable right now for complete opposite reasons. And we know that Anything that's been debated for a couple thousand years by godly men and women um, who really care about Scripture, that there's going to be some tension. But what Paul ends with in the book of 1 Corinthians is chapter 15. And he talks about all these issues, and he says, what I gave to you was of first importance. And of first importance is that Jesus Christ gave up his life for you and for me, died on the cross, and rose again to bring life to our brokenness. All of this is, has tension and is an issue because we're broken people stained by sin. And at our core, without meaning to, we all want our way. And so it's always going to be a little bit messy. But of first importance isn't what positions men and women have. It's that Jesus Christ saw our brokenness, stepped into it because of his love, and gave us hope. That's of first importance and that we'll keep going back to. Yes, that is an amen.
So what we're going to do is we're going to end remembering that first importance. We have communion tables around the room. And we're going to invite you to go to the tables. You can go alone. You can go with your life group. You can go uh, with your friends, with your family, however you want to do it. Take communion around the room. And uh, we've gone a little long, so we're going to um, ask you to, you know, take your time. But, um, you know, we may end before you're done if you take your time, just so you know. <laughs> um, but of this great thing for us is this brings us back to the table. The body, the bread represents a body of Christ who's broken for you and for me, for men and women. The blood of Christ is a covenant of his blood that was shed for us. That said, though you are not perfect, I promise that my life is enough for you. And you can't break that. Even when you misread scripture, even when you get things wrong, you can't break what I have done. It is finished. So we're going to go to the tables. Remember that as a sign of unity and a sign of even in our differences, Christ is of first importance. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you even that you give us a, the space to work through this. And I pray now, Lord, as we remember you and what you've done, would you speak to us? Would you help us remember what is of first importance this morning? In Jesus' name, amen.